Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hey everyone, welcome back to Building the Buckeyes, a new podcast that covers the latest news on the Ohio State football recruiting trail. I'm joined today by John Garcia, the Director of Recruiting for SI All-American. How's it going, John? It's going good, Andrew. You know, middle of football season, cannot complain too much. For sure, and you know, obviously it's a little bit, um, a little hectic for you throughout the summer with visits coming back up and, you know, going around to all the different camps and things like that. So is it kind of cool to be, you know, just paying attention to where kids are going around the country and stuff like that? Yeah, it certainly makes it a little bit easier to track. Uh, obviously, these visits are all basically planned around big-time college football games. So the games we're already paying attention to, naturally there's a recruiting correlation in terms of just how big those weekends could get. So it definitely simplifies the calendar, a lot less travel, a lot more you know, focus on, on Friday night football games, which is still you know what I love to do the most and then recruiting every single weekend and catching up during the week like we are right now. I'd say it's a little crazy, too, to, to pay attention to where everybody is going all at once, and especially because, you know, these classes, especially for 2022, they're all, you know, 15 to 20 kids in a class right now, and, you know, some of them are still trying to decide, like, hey, do I hold on to my commitment? Do I want to go and check out any other schools? And, you know, obviously we've seen that with Ohio State, too, um, specifically Kojo Antwi. Um, who visited Georgia earlier this month, despite being committed to Ohio State since since July, you know, and that's really notable too because that's where he's he's from. Um, he lives about an hour west of Athens, um, and they don't really seem to have a, a wide receiver of his caliber in their class. So, do you think that you know him him making his way to Georgia is something that the Ohio, that Ohio State has to worry about? Absolutely, you mentioned it. You know, he's a Georgia kid. And the SEC allure is, is still certainly present. Obviously, Georgia's having a fantastic start to this 2021 season. And I think if you go back to before he committed to OSU, Andrew, it was another SEC school, Texas A&M, that kind of held the vibes. And from what we hear at this point, those have fizzled out. But Georgia was kind of always that number two, number three school. And now they're obviously local, hyper-local, some would say. Uh, so that sell with a game visit under his belt is going to be very consistent. You know, uh, I think there are bigger fish on the board. Uh, Luther Burden is out there, obviously, right? The former Oklahoma verbal commitment SI-99 prospect. But the timelines here are going to line up quite nicely for schools that are recruiting a lot of these top uncommitted wide receivers. Burden's set to come off the board, I believe, in October. So it naturally will kind of create a domino for the school he picks uh, and release maybe a spot for a school he does not pick. And Georgia is right at the forefront for both of those wide receivers. So I think uh, if I'm an Ohio State fan, I'm keeping an eye on Burden making his verbal commitment uh, and how that may affect uh, Kojo Antwi. But there's no doubt that he's a big-time prospect. I do think if, if he were to call Kirby Smart today, I do think Georgia – would pick up his verbal commitment. So I'm not saying it's it's dependent on Luther Burden, but as, as we talk about the numbers and how critical every single spot is in this class of 2022, that is, especially at the same position, mm-hmm. that is a kid that I think does have a tangible impact on a Kojo Antwi. Um, and look, I think this is interesting from the Ohio State side as well, right? Um, no school, maybe, maybe Alabama, it's like very close. Maybe Alabama has recruited receivers the same way Ohio State has over the last few years. It's one, two, in some type of order, whether you go on recruiting rankings, on-field production, all that fun stuff, right? So now we're seeing Ohio State relax its visit policy a little bit. There was kind of an underlying maybe theme in the 2021 cycle and into 2022 with James Singletary that it was like, if you commit to Ohio State, you don't take visits. Some schools are very hard on this policy, like a Clemson, for instance, which has literally lost prospects because of this policy. Some kind of employ it, like in Ohio State, but they, they kind of do it selectively, and some are kind of wide open with it. You shop, we shop kind of mentality. But I do think this is another indication 
that Ohio State is is relaxing that, you know, whether it was a tangible policy or not, it does appear that there's a little bit more flexibility for the player. But, of course, that means there's a little bit more flexibility with the program as well, which is kind of the danger from a prospect perspective of taking visits while you're a committed prospect. Not that it would hurt Kojo Antwi, but, you know, guys who are maybe lower on the board, bubble commitments, things like that, those guys would, would certainly be questionable to make some of the same decisions. So I do think that his visits to Georgia is revealing in multiple facets, and, and it is something to keep an eye on if you're an Ohio State fan. Although I haven't had that that text message or that call that says, this is like a red alert, like we see this thing coming, kind of like the, the Singletary commitment. I don't think these two are in the same category. Do you think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Ohio State has been recruiting so well at the wide, wide receiver position? Because really, like, you know, it might be a little different if it was a position where there's only one, maybe two commitments. But when it comes to wide receiver, you know, they have a ton of talent currently on the roster. Then they have three other wide receivers in the class. Do you think that they're a little bit more apt to say, hey, you know, we'll, we'll let these kids, um, you know, take visits because we can always find someone else to fill that spot if he ultimately would flip? That's why I brought up Alabama because I think those are the two schools in position that every year recruit wide receivers at the same clip. And I think that's why there is some flexibility there because there are so many bodies on the current roster and on the commitment list that are, you know, well, let's call it, you know, we rank at SL American somewhere better than Kojo Antwi, at least as far as we know at this point. Kojo a little bit more physical, a little bit more raw of, of a developmental prospect compared to, to a Graves or some of these other receivers that are verbally committed. So, so yeah, I, I do think that plays into it. I think at certain positions you wouldn't see this much – I don't want to call it freedom, but this much flexibility in taking visits while being committed to a school of Ohio State's caliber. You know, you had mentioned Texas A&M as well, and that was that was honestly probably the school that I thought that he, you know, was going to go to until you know he started trending to Ohio State in in June following his visit. You know, what kind of changed the there? Because really, you know, he's not not initially from Georgia. He's originally from Nigeria. You know, his family moved to the United States. Um, there's a whole story there that you can read about on, on BuckeyesNow.com. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things that maybe he doesn't necessarily have the the connections to Georgia. He just more so has the proximity at that, this moment. So is 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 that really a concern in, in that aspect? Like, you know, is Georgia really that big of a threat just because of where they're at right now? I think you said it. Where they're at right now, um, like you said, you know, he's not a, a kid who grew up, you know, from birth in Atlanta and has been there his entire life just dreaming about playing for, you know, the red and black Georgia Bulldogs. It's not quite that typical Georgia SEC country kind of story. But right now, that is the proximity. Uh, Right now, Georgia is kind of king in that state and in the region, right? And so you head west into the state of Alabama. Uh, So it, it should matter. You know, I think... In certain positions, the current on-field performance matters more than others. Um, so if you flipped the script on Texas A&M and Georgia on the field this year in terms of their offense, passing production, wide receiver production, then I think Texas A&M maybe stays in this race. You know, I think wide receiver is one of those positions where kids are keeping an eye on it like all the time. Mm-hmm. It's one of those where it's like, because I want to play as a freshman and this is how I'm going to fit into the system. So what they do right now on the field matters there more so than an offensive lineman, more so than uh, maybe a secondary prospect, something like that. So I do think that the location of Georgia and the how hot Georgia is on the field, showing mm-hmm. uh, you know a better offensive product than they have really ever under Kirby Smart, all of those things matter when you combine them together um, against the more recent and much stronger history of Ohio State at the position relative to to the Bulldogs and to to the Texas A&M Aggies as well. You know, we did hear some academic and some some family pushes to A&M, but that was very early in the process uh, surrounding Kojo Antwi, and and that has very much faded um, since even before he made the the Ohio State commitment, as you mentioned. We just hadn't heard A&M brought up the same way uh, that Georgia has been brought up, independent of, of the visit. So uh, I think this is a clear Ohio State-Georgia battle, and I think there's a couple of prospects that, that those two might be the finalists for. 
Um, so we're just going to have to wait and see on this one. But I think when it comes to tracking Kojo Antwi, I don't think Texas A&M is, is a, a quote-unquote threat to the Buckeyes any longer. So what do you think that Ohio State then has to do to kind of, to kind of wrap this up? You know, sometimes it's just a matter of time. You know, the, the early signing period is actually not that far away, if you really dig into it. We're about, you know, nine weeks or so, nine to ten weeks or so away from that December 15th early signing period window. So it's about holding on any way you can. Now, is Ohio State going to panic and kind of initiate like an all-in approach to, to reel this guy in and make sure he stays? No, but I think him remaining uncommitted following that visit, coming out of that visit, driving back to his house, as simple as that may seem, those indicators are strong for Ohio State. Because typically, when you go to an SEC campus with the atmosphere, with the pageantry and all the theatrics, there's usually an emotional kind of decision. Mm -hmm. And I think this goes back to Antwi's family, a strong focus and approach academically, all that. There's not a lot of emotion in this kid's recruitment, as far as we can tell, which I think is a very good thing for Ohio State. So I think they will get closer to early signing period, take a step back, and truly evaluate all of the options, and then go from there. Mm-hmm. Um, this isn't this isn't a kid who, like I said, grew up diehard red and black. If they offer, I'm coming, like like a Jake Fromm did, mm-hmm. you know, back in the day. You know, this is a totally different recruitment, and I think if there was an emotional decision, we would have seen it. You know, over the weekend into the week, like we like we always do. Every week it feels like a, school, a prospect committed to school A visits school B, loves school B, decommits on Sunday or Monday. Well, you know, we're, we're approaching Monday evening, and, and there's really no information suggesting Antwee is going to take a step back. So I think that's very good news for Ohio State, and I think it's just a matter of continuing to to do what what has been done already. We all know the prowess Brian Hartline individually brings uh, to any receiver's recruitment. Uh, and we know the on-field product's going to continue to get better. I mean, it's not like – I mean, relative to expectation, yes, Ohio State has, has taken a step back, but it's not like if you look at the numbers, there's this huge, you know, drop-off for mm-hmm. Ohio State. I mean, they're going to get healthy. They're going to get into the thick of conference play. And, and my my expectation is that Ohio State's going to look like Ohio State – for the majority of, of the rest of the season. So I think those things will correct themselves when you do compare the on-field differences between OSU and UGA. Um, but I do think the extreme on the other side is part of the reason A&M is out. Yeah, and kind of to your point, when you talk about just the emotion of it as well, I think you know it's very easy to come out of those visits and say, okay, Georgia's number two in the country. They're doing so well. Ohio State's you know not doing as hot as we thought that they were coming into the season. But then those things kind of correct themselves over the course of the year. And even offensively, you know, despite Ohio State being 3-1, and one, offensively, they've still been pretty good. I mean, Kyle McCord just threw for uh, a, a first start record, 319 yards. The receivers got theirs, you know. So it's not necessarily like he's looking at Ohio State and saying, oh, I'm not going to be able to get mine or, you know, have an impact there. At the same time, you know, I think that's part of the reason that Ohio State isn't necessarily as as worried as, you know, they may be just because, it was kind of Antwi's commitment in the first place was almost viewed as a luxury because they already have the three other receivers in the class. And I think that that's maybe one of those things like why they won't push, you know, for him to, to not visit, if that makes sense. Absolutely. You know, all, all these, all these decisions, and especially now, cause we can, now we can say a little bit more plainly, these are all very much business decisions from, from both sides of the recruiting coin. Um, so yeah, you just, as a human being, you are naturally more inclined to press when you have less resources to deal with thereafter. And at that position in this cycle and in the last several, that is the position where Ohio State can be the most flexible without question, without hesitation. And it's not even based on location. It's nationally. It's nationally. Ohio State does not have to blink at that position. So the luxury, in turn, turns to the player at this point <laughs> you know so i think that is is kind of an understanding in this recruitment and i think it's one of those where it's going to work out well in the end regardless for both prospect and program for sure and kind of sticking with the you know the emotional aspect of it you know ohio state seems to be trending recently with texas defensive end omari abor um and it seemed like he was kind of one of those people who when he went on a visit you know he came out of the visit just singing the praises of whatever school he visited and you know, that school really felt good about it while everybody else thought, you know, hey, maybe he's trending away from us. 
And then recently he had received a, a crystal ball prediction for Ohio State. He kind of cited Ohio State's use of JT Tui Malowau, especially after he arrived on campus in mid-July. And so, you know, after there being months of him, you know, maybe trending toward Alabama, Georgia, and Oklahoma at one point or another, you know, do you think that the Buckeyes are actually in a good spot at this moment, or is it just kind of one of those things that's the, you know, really the flavor of the month at this point? I'm inclined to think a little bit more of the latter, just based on the precedent that that Omari himself has has set. As you mentioned, it was it was Oklahoma, A and M, Texas at the beginning, then the Bama, LSU kind of SEC pool began, and and then all of a sudden, uh, as as the recent months have crescendoed it's, it's Ohio State so I do think this thing has bounced around for good reason one he's an elite prospect this is an SI 99 edge talent with legitimate pass rushing ability I, I wouldn't put him in the two ball out category quite yet but physically and what he can do in terms of moving around and playing a traditional edge moving inside on occasion things like that there are some similarities with that usage so it makes sense that Larry Johnson and Ryan Day and those guys would sell that when a, a boy was, was able to, to get up to campus and all of that. So that part of it makes sense. Um, but this stuff has, has dropped out almost out of nowhere with, with a boy. You know, a year ago, we thought this was going to be kind of an old school regional situation. Texas, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. Texas A&M. And, and that's, that was kind of it. maybe a sprinkle of LSU. And it's kind of become more national and widened as time has gone on. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of Walter Nolan, you know, the, the top uncommitted player in the country where it's like, he's got a top group and then boom, another school emerges. You know, I think once, once a dropped Oklahoma, this thing felt as wide open as possible. And I think Ohio State has done the best job of taking advantage in the intermediate. But to me, it's a matter of when is this thing going to end? What visits still lie ahead? And I believe he does have a couple plan going forward um so so you never want to count out alabama or ohio state in a national recruitment like this and i think those two are going to be heavily involved down the stretch Uh, and i think the wild card is texas Mm -hmm. texas was kind of an early trend you know when sark got the job all of that he was one of the obvious targets in state for uh for that crew to target and and some of the, the best recruiters he brought over from alabama you know, have done a lot of damage in the state of Texas, just like Ohio State has uh, in the last decade or so. So I think Texas is is an interesting dark horse to keep an eye on. But for me, it's about when does this end? Is this an early signing period decision mm-hmm. announced at the All-Star Games kind of kid? Because if that's the case, that's a lot of time. We've seen some funky stuff happen between signing in mid-December and announcing the first week of January. Those two and a half weeks create a whole lot of drama behind the scenes. So... If Abel is one of those in terms of his timeline, uh, all bets feel kind of off. But there is no doubt that right now Ohio State has clear and tangible momentum in this recruitment. If if he were to post, hey, I'm committed on Monday, mm-hmm. great news, sooner the better for Ohio State. But I think he's he's been jumping around for a reason. I think he's going to continue to take visits. So I would just view Ohio State as a leader, not quite a, a predictable destination just yet. I think what's really interesting about it, at least to me, is the fact that he took, you know, most if not all of his official visits in June. And really, you know, that, that kind of puts him in the position of, you know, at, at that point, he's now paying out of his own pocket or his own family's pocket to then visit whatever school he's interested in. And if it's a school that is going to end up winning his pledge off of an unofficial visit in the fall, like, it's going to be one of those things where he has to really want to go and visit those schools. So I think that you're really going to start to see a you know, kind of a narrowed down from that standpoint of, hey, if, if I'm going to spend my family's money or my money to go on these trips, like, it's got to be somewhere I'm really interested in versus, you know, an official visit, you know, or like a, a bus tour or something with your with your teammates or those kind of things. Like, those those don't really cost much out of your own pocket or you're just doing it because everybody else is doing it, if that makes sense. It does. It does. I mean, this is, this is crunch time. Like I said, you know, we're about to be in October at the end of this week. And I was actually uh, starting to update the, the SI American team rankings. And I'm like, holy crap, we are about to be in October. Like we're getting towards crunch time. So even if you want to visit schools A, B, and C, it might not even line up with your schedule because they have to be playing home on a weekend that's convenient for you. 
based on your schedule? What if your high school game gets pushed? Like we do see in the state of Texas that so many of these schools share these unbelievable stadiums. All this craziness can happen with your schedule late in the game. So if you are banking on an unofficial visit, it is uh, that's a thin line right there at this point. So you almost wonder, does he have in his mind, does he does he have a, a school or a couple of schools where he knows today, you know, he can make a, a verbal commitment? But, you know, the early indication of Oklahoma and how that has changed just, again, leads me to think that uh, there, there could still be maybe a long way to go um, in this recruitment. And I, I believe he took several officials, like you said, in the fall or in the summer. I don't know if he took all of them. So, obviously, if, if he does have a little bit of space available, uh, that could make it quite interesting and, and maybe throw another team mm-hmm. into the ring You know, here, here at the 11th hour, which wouldn't surprise me. Well, I think you made a really good point, too, about just the visits having to match up with, you know, schedules. And especially in Texas, you know, they play the state championship, I think, the weekend before Christmas. So it's not as if, like, you know, he just is going to all of a sudden have these 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 opportunities to go all over the country, you know, before the early signing periods it comes in December. So it might, you know, like, I think you might be onto something there with, with saying that he might be one of those kids who holds off and waits until January to make some more visits and then kind of make his decision after that. And also kind of along those same lines, Ohio State was actually supposed to welcome uh, California offensive guard Ernest Green for an official visit for the, the Oregon game, but his schedule didn't match up because St. John Bosco ended up playing really late on Saturday night. Ohio State played New- Oregon at noon on Saturday, so he wasn't able to you know make a connecting flight and get out there. So can you kind of talk about maybe the difficulties of, of recruiting a kid who lives all the way across the country and having to you know kind of match those things up? It really is hard. Um, I've, I've, my goodness, I've seen dozens and dozens, probably hundreds by now, of official visits or even unofficial visits that were going to play very critical in recruitment, either altered or canceled or delayed just because of, of really natural circumstances. You know, something with the plane, the weather, a high school game getting pushed, uh, just simple little things can really create a domino effect for an entire weekend. You know, these kids, especially when you go to the West Coast now, they're playing well into the night in the East, Eastern time zone and even in the Central time zone. They're, they're having to go home, get their rest, and, and then catch a flight. So depending on that team's slate on a Saturday, things can get pretty dicey in terms of making it in for a game visit. Um, but that's the whole sell for this class of 2022. They had to wait 15 months to take visits. So, yes, summer officials were a big deal. But, man, these kids want to see games. They want to go, you know, to, to see the horseshoe. They want to be in the big house. They want to see the wideout at Penn State. They want to go to Death Valley and LSU. They want to see these storied venues in person because either, A, they hadn't been in forever, or, B, they hadn't been as a priority recruit. You know, we all knew... I don't know, take take a Walter Nolan, for instance, two years ago where he is able to make game visits. Yeah, I'm sure he got some FaceTime with some position coaches. I'm sure he got some hellos from some staffers and, and maybe athletic department folks, but not quite the presentation he would get today on an unofficial or official visit because he's a senior. He's a top uncommitted senior recruit. So it's a different level of rolling out the red carpet. And, and I always like to remind people who listen to me you know, these are 16, 17, 18-year-old kids on top of that. So the logistics that everyone around them are dealing with, coupled with the natural emotion and desire that comes with being that age, is is quite the overwhelming you know, combination in recruiting. So um, these kids want to get to visits. Logistics are hard. And you can't blame them if they are emotional. So I don't want to make it seem like I was... I was I was uh, creating a narrative for you know Abor or even against a Kojo Ansley talking about that. It's totally understandable. How many kids come in and say, "Man, I just got that feeling." Yeah. There's a kid committing tomorrow. The number one offensive tackle in the country who I talked to today, and he said, "I just got that feeling on campus." It is totally normal and a driver for verbal commitment. So well, that's why this thing's so fun to cover. See, it's really interesting too because you kind of look at it both ways. You say, "Okay, well, you know." If you're the coaching staff and you want to get them on campus in the middle of the summer and you can say, okay, we can spend as much time together over a two-day weekend like, and, and get to know each other and go and I'll show you around the, you know, show you around the city, like those kind of things. And you get the, the, the reason that they'd want to do that. But from my perspective, you know, going around traveling to all these different games, being a college football fan, you know, my entire life saying, you know, 
it's one of those things you would think that they would actually want them to come just specifically for a game day because you had mentioned so many different atmospheres around the country. Seeing Penn State, for example, at a whiteout, like if I was a kid, I would commit right there on the spot because I got to see that. Now, I don't know that I would get the exact same you know, feeling going to uh, Happy Valley on a random Saturday in June. You know what I mean? So it's definitely really interesting to see how they kind of handle the summer visits versus fall visits and, and, and those kind of things. And then you throw in unexpected dominoes for uh, an L.A. kid, right? Clay Helton gets fired at USC. And, and look, his recruitment was already national. I'm talking to Ernest Green. It was already national at, at this point, you know, with the Ohio State's, the Texas's, Georgia's already involved. But now they're just kind of reemphasizing, like, hey, you know, don't you think that night, just hypothetically, the Greens had to sit down and said, Okay, we gotta like figure out, like, make sure that we're good with some of these these out of area, out of state programs because now that the local option just became a little bit more twisted, or a little bit more difficult to navigate, or a little bit more uh, understandable to to avoid until things get figured out there in LA, or, or you know, they even really begin uh, a, a a coaching search. So uh, there's always so many factors to consider that are are easy to see, and sometimes. Not so easy to see um, with these prospects, but but Green is Green is a load. He fits what Ohio State wants to do offensively. Uh, we all know what you know what Wyatt Davis has done or had done um, at Ohio State, uh, so that connection was certainly alive and well. But but like I mentioned, this is a true national recruitment right here with Georgia and Texas right there in the mix. Uh, I believe he was at Georgia mid September for that South Carolina game, which was really. Um, one of the better prospect visitor lists we've seen in, in, in the country through the first month of the football season. So I think those things all matter. Um, St. John Bosco kids are, are kind of like IMG or modern day or St. Francis kids where it's like, you don't really put as much stock in their current location because so many of these recruitments turn into international battles. So um, green is going to be a fascinating one. I think he's done a really good job of keeping things pretty close to the best, but, but we, we had heard a lot of positivity coming out of that Georgia visit, as you would expect. The one thing that I think Ohio State gets lucky in the fact that he actually came to campus a couple years ago when Court Williams made his official visit. So, you know, even if they don't get him on campus, it still feels like one of those things like maybe logistically he just can't do it or, you know, maybe they end up getting him for, you know, a visit in January and it's not a game day. I do still think that Ohio State still holds a lot of weight with him just because of the, that previous visit and you know, obviously you had mentioned Wyatt Davis. He's he really to me fits a lot of the same mold as Wyatt Davis. And if if you're a kid who is coming through the same high school program, says, Hey, look, look what Ohio State did with Wyatt Davis. He was a high draft pick, like that that might be something you just want to consider just based upon that alone. So I mean ultimately where do you think that, you know, the Buckeyes stand with him? I think they're right there. Obviously <laughs> not getting an official visit when it was scheduled hurts, right? Um we just talked about the Georgia visit and, and how that was received incredibly well. You know, Matt Luke is one of the better O-line coaches in the country. And Georgia's, you know, been right there with Ohio State, Alabama, some of these other schools that have produced a lot of, of high-drafted uh, offensive linemen. And, and Green is one of those that he's so interesting because of his versatility. He's this six six. Uh, I don't know what, what he weighs, well, over 300-pound kid who looks like he can play any spot on the offensive line. And a lot of these top programs have kind of specialized in moving kids around. Early on, you play here, and then as you get a little bit older, or feel a little bit more comfortable with you working at center or left tackle, whichever your body kind of naturally assimilates towards. So I think that sell and actually sitting down and breaking that down and not having that ability to do so in the meeting room, physically in person with the Ohio State assistant, I think that starts to hurt with, with offensive linemen. Because look, when you get to different positions, we talked about it earlier with receivers watching the, the on-field production. O-linemen are, are totally cut from a different cloth. It's very much about practice, the O-line coach, the scheme, and the fit. Um, so not being able to have that, I think, would be would be really uh, disadvantageous to to the Buckeyes. But, you know, if, if it can be rescheduled, which I think it will be, I think Ohio State is right in the thick of this thing. With Georgia, I think Texas is, is kind of on the cusp as well, um, I, I, but I do think this is a bit more of an Ohio State 
Georgia situation, especially if he reschedules. If he does it, just naturally, I'd probably give the edge to Georgia a little bit. Definitely. And I kind of want to switch gears a little bit and talk about uh, Alabama cornerback A.J. Harris. Um, You know, he took a couple visits this summer and and kind of came out of those visits to Ohio State and Clemson and Georgia. And people were talking about maybe he committing to one of them schools um, after those visits. And he kind of took a step back after that. He went out to uh, to Los Angeles for the opening and talked about how he wanted to visit, you know, some schools again before he ended up making a decision. He's down to Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, LSU, North Carolina, Notre Dame, and Ohio State. And he has his Ohio State visit coming up uh, next next week when they play Maryland. How important do you think that that visit will ultimately be for the Buckeyes as they look to get, you know, probably the best cornerback in the class? Massive, massive, because. Based on his location, you know, he's a Phoenix City kid, which is literally on the border of, of Georgia and Alabama. So in terms of going up to Athens, going to Tuscaloosa, even to Clemson, you're talking about a few hours. It's really not not a, a crazy haul, uh, as, as it may seem. So when you talk about the outer region programs, Ohio State, Notre Dame, North Carolina, among the three you mentioned, first of all, you're talking about what would be a monumental way if North Carolina could pull that off against those guys. I mean, salute, salute to Mac Brown. I don't see it happening. Um, and, and, and same thing for Notre Dame, as far as, as far as I can tell at this point. So to me, it, it kind of leaves the SEC crew, Clemson and, and, and Ohio state. So I do think a visit there would, would play, would pay dividends. And I think the scheme, the NFL production has been elite at Ohio state. And starting a true freshman who's playing his tail off mm-hmm. in Denzel Burke at the position, and you talk about something that sells without even trying, those are the elements that skill guys are looking for. Where is the evidence that if I'm the best guy, I will play day one? That's something that, that Notre Dame is, is struggling with um, at certain positions, perceptionally, in the recruiting game. Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia, all the other schools in this mix, right? Bama. They do it. They have done it, and they've done it on big stages. And for Ohio State to have that going at the time, at this time, at that position, I think says a lot uh, about the ceiling for the sell to AJ Harris. Um, and and he is a very calculated kid. So much so to the point, as you mentioned, Andrew, he took a step back from talking about where he was going to go because he wanted to see more on these campuses. I've, I have friends in the industry try to stop by his school. And in person, he says, you know, hey, really appreciate you coming by, but I don't really want to comment on these things right now. So you talk about a calculated kid, and he's an underclassman, right? Mm-hmm. Class of 2023. So that is that is totally different. So to me, and having talked to him a few times at camps and different things this summer, it just tells you about the type of calculation and evaluation and data points that are going to go into this decision. So a Denzel Burke-like X-Factor could play big, and seeing that in person and the game prep and all of that could play even bigger. So kind of how I feel like with the Ernest Green recruitment, you get them on campus and you go from there. It kind of resets everything. Um, and, and AJ, unlike Kojo, unlike Ernest Green, he is a born-and-bred kind of SEC, ACC kid. So if you're going to pull them out of the region, you've got to really line up those bowling pins and knock them down in a row on the cell. And I think perceptionally, Ohio State is there. Historically, Ohio State is there. On the field, they're there. Can they they do it in person? Can they do it in the secondary room with the players and the coaches? And I think that that could be the deciding factor when you're talking about a kid who, like you said, may be the best corner and was definitely the best camp corner I saw this summer, regardless of class. You know, that's how you land guys like that. Um, so we'll see. For sure. And the one thing that I find really interesting, and it, it kind of stood out to me when he was on campus for the one-day visit, uh, one-day camp visit in June, he was working out individually with Kerry Combs. You know, Kerry Combs was telling him, you know, I've, I've produced seven, eight NFL, you know, first-round draft picks at cornerback. And it makes me wonder, you know, you had mentioned Denzel Burke, coming in, making an instant impact in the secondary. But at the same time, the defense has also struggled. And it makes me wonder and it makes me feel maybe if Ohio State isn't as, you know, in, in a great spot as they were before just because of the defensive struggle so far. So I think it's kind of one of those things that 
you know, as he's making these visits, I think it's going to be very important to pay attention to how Ohio State kind of bounces back, especially, you know, in the secondary and defensively and all that, just to see. Because, you know, I think that there is value in him saying, hey, I'm one of those players that can come in and can help. But at the same time, like, you know, it, it does come down to who's putting him in those positions to succeed too. 100%, especially with, with a calculated kid like like AJ. And, and yeah, when we when we last checked in, there was a lot of Clemson buzz. There was some Alabama buzz. And, and it kind of went from there. Um, so, so there could be some work to do on this Ohio State cell uh, here at the end. But regardless of, of early commitment, which it looks like AJ's going to do, I believe, uh, I think I saw it was in January. January 11th, I believe, yeah. Right. So regardless of that, um, long way from January 11th, 2022 to mid-December 2022. Um, So I do think as the landscape shifts in college football, like it does every every winter, I do think things can change either right before his commitment or in the long stretch after his commitment in between making that verbal early and, and signing on the dotted line, much like we, t- we talked about with James Singletary. I mean, this was a done 100% in January, like, I'm done, like, this is home kind of thing. And things changed for a variety of reasons we won't get into, but things changed just because there was so much time for things to change. And, you know, six, seven months later, he made the move, and, and we'll see where he ends up. I'm not saying uh, the same is going to happen to AJ wherever he commits, but obviously – if you miss on him, you want to miss as early as possible and, and go from there and make up the ground and stay in the fight from there. Well, I think that's a very important part of it, too, is that, you know, with the early commitments, there's obviously the buildup to when they do make a commitment and you want to do everything you can to put yourself in a position to get it. But then, you know, just because he commits on that day doesn't mean that it's over. Like, if you're on the outside looking in or you're the team that got him, you still have to continue to recruit him because it's a long way until the early signing period. So, you know, it could be one thing in January, but then you know, just continue to work at it. If, if you're Ohio State and you're not it, like, that, that doesn't mean that it's done. Similarly, you had actually mentioned that he's kind of one of those kids that lives in ACC, SEC country, and, you know, Ohio State every so often has a kid who grows up in their backyard. You know, Zach Harrison in 2019, Jack Sawyer last year, for example, and then next year it's actually Sonny Styles. You know, I know it's very difficult for evaluators to judge him just because of, you know, how he'll fit in on defense just because he's, you know, pretty much as big as a defensive end, but he also plays safety in high school. So can you actually talk about kind of how important it is for the Buckeyes to land a prospect like him? Well, it certainly helps with with your Saturdays, right? It gives the defensive coordinator that much more flexibility, whether you want to bring him down to cover one of these freak tight ends that we see and, and often see in the Big Ten, uh, for that matter, uh, or to stay back and play over the top and, and close ground on a big-time wide receiver down the field. You know, we we start to see a little bit more of these hybrids as, as the years progress. Um, James Williams was that guy last year, and, and we were talking in the evaluation about like about what kind of back this is. And in the NFL, they're moving these safeties to linebacker and vice versa in the same game. And we're starting to hear a little bit of the term monster back. Uh, So it's like this safety linebacker hybrid that is totally dependent on down and distance of personnel. So he is the perfect monster back candidate when you talk about elites in the class of 2023. Ohio State's familiar with the guy who's in that category at 22 with uh, Jason McCullough, of course, the former OSU commitment, uh, but I think there's a lot more upside with Styles. I think he's more athletic, and I think he's more apt to actually stay in the back end and in coverage than McCullough, who's probably a little bit more of a running downhill type of, of monster back. So there's there's even types within the hybrid that we could talk about. Um, but yeah, even though it's a hard evaluation, look, look at the offer list. Look at who wants it, right? It's, it's Ohio State. It's Notre Dame. It's a who's who list. And you talk about intrigue, right? Well, his dad played at OSU. His brother's at Notre Dame right now as a freshman, uh, Lorenzo Styles Jr. Um, what an intriguing family dynamic this recruitment is going to be. You know, I think there was a little bit more Notre Dame vibes early, and, and, and it's kind of natural, right? It's like a knee-jerk reaction. You think of Big Bro before you think of Dad, just in the progression and the influence department. Um, so naturally, the moment... Lorenzo Jr. picked Notre Dame, you started to hear about, oh, this is great. You know, the fans chime in, right? Oh, heck yeah, we're going to get his brother too. You know, so that that is carried for, 
for quite some time. But like you said, Ohio State legacy in in OSU's backyard, it starts to change the perception. And I think in terms of utilizing these different types of, of DBs, we'll call it just for lack of a better word at the moment, you look at what Ohio State's done with some of those type guys. You know, I think, you know, when Josh Proctor went down earlier this year, I was like, man, he's, he's one of these guys that really just makes you flexible mm-hmm. on the back end. And I think that Styles can be like a bigger version of that, which is so invaluable. Um, so, you know, I, I think there's a lot of precedent there at Ohio State. Uh, Notre Dame's done well defensively as well. So I think on field, it's, it's splitting hairs and probably this entire recruitment is going to be splitting hairs given given just his, his family history and his location. I mean, those two things are, are going to make him probably the most talked about recruit in Ohio without question in that class of, of 2023. Um, but in terms of on the field, he is a special player. He's an interesting player. I don't know what position we're going to rank him at because we don't have athlete. We like to make a call and kind of stick our necks out there. So we don't have that athlete category. So it will be either off-ball linebacker or safety, most likely. Still going through that. Thankfully, I have some time to make that final call. But he is so interesting at you know, 6'4", 210, or whatever he is. Um, and that's why so many people want him. But it's going to come down to that Midwest battle between OSU and, and Notre Dame. You might just have to really kind of set a precedent and say, like, we're just creating this new position for him and everybody else then has to follow. <laughs> the thing that is interesting to me about it as you kind of look back to Lorenzo Jr.'s recruitment, and I think that the reason that he didn't end up at Ohio State is because of all the other receivers that they were recruiting. Like, I think in another year, you know, if maybe they weren't, if Brian Hartline wasn't recruiting as well as he has been for the last couple years, you know, he might have been in that class and there wouldn't even be a discussion about Notre Dame in this situation because they would both be following their dad's legacy. But I think, you know, when you have a chance to get Emeka Egbuka, you have a chance to get Marvin Harrison Jr., you have a chance to get Jaden Ballard, all nationally touted prospects versus somebody who is a legacy. Like it's very easy to see why Ohio State went the way they did, and I think it's very different when it comes to Sonny. Like I think that he is a, like you said, a very unique player, somebody who is going to have an impact, somebody that they don't necessarily have, and I think that that's what will make the difference from Ohio State's standpoint about how much you know pressure they put on him and you know how how badly they want him versus how badly they wanted his brother. And I think his brother's position and versatility hurt him because I, I was in the camp that he might have been a better corner than, than receiver or, or ball carrier at the next level. So I think that actually hurt him because now you're talking about two different sides of the ball. So it's not even where it's like, oh, well, today I can work with this group mentally and then work with the other group, and it's not a big variance. No, you're talking about a side of the ball, which is more like a pick your side and that's it kind of play. So I think that hurt his the ceiling of his recruitment because people were largely split. I do think there was a little bit more wide receiver in, in the in the pitches compared to DB, but I was in the minority thinking, like, defensive back-wise, this is a top 150 kind of kid. Um, a great athlete, but a totally different body and, and all of that stuff that, that your fan base knows about. But, yeah, it's a different recruitment uh, with Sonny. And I think through – Recruiting Lorenzo, you also had, of course, exposure uh, to Sonny as well, um, and not to mention all the family ties. I mean, this is mm-hmm. this is going to be one of the more interesting recruitments, um, like I said, in the class of 2023 overall. Everyone's going to talk about Arch Manning and, and go from there, but when you talk about breaking down the most intriguing kids, and maybe that's an article that I'm writing in my head already, Sonny <laughs> uh, Styles, you know, pops into my mind as one of those because it's such a perceptively even battle uh, between two playoff contenders, right? Two, two teams that every year we're, we're talking about in that discussion for, for the playoff, which is, is really where recruiting perception begins. So um, I'm fascinated to see how it plays out, and I'm fascinated to get more tape on that kid. And, and like you said, we might have to invent a new position. Uh, <laughs> well, we've done it before, right? So like. Yeah, and it's going to get even more interesting with the fact that Ohio State and Notre Dame actually play next year and the year after that. So, you know, there's going to be those storylines running rampant all over the place. Now, I kind of want to stick with, you know, a defender, talk about Troy Bowles. And it's very easy to, he's a Florida linebacker. It's very easy to sit here and say, okay, well, if you get Sonny and Troy Bowles in the same defense on top of a class that is bringing in, you know, C.J. Hicks and Gabe Powers this year, Ohio State's defense can be pretty scary in a couple years. 
you know, I know he was on campus for an official unofficial visit um, for a one-day camp in June as well, and Ohio State kind of started trending with him as well. He was supposed to come for a, another unofficial visit for the Tulsa game, but ended up actually suffering an injury in his game on Friday night and couldn't make it. I guess, you know, I just kind of wanted to see where you thought Ohio State stood in his recruitment as he, you know, is in the process of rescheduling another visit. The Bucks are right there for Bulls, and, and this is, you know, we talk about fun recruits to watch. Um, watch, if you hadn't, folks listening, watch Troy Bowles' early uh, 2021 tape. Uh, there are some ferocious hits and plays being made uh, on his tape. Son, of course, of, of Tampa Bay Bucks, D.C., Todd Bowles, uh, which makes this recruitment interesting already, right? I mean, this is a guy who, where uh, location doesn't, this isn't a Tampa kid, right? This isn't your typical Tampa area kid where it's like, grew up a Gators fan, but FSU and Miami were in early in his recruitment, and then it kind of branches out from there. This is a totally different recruit who is already used to moving around the country. There's already talks of his dad taking a head job soon anyway, so who knows where he's going to play next year. He could actually be up in the Midwest, or who, who knows where. Um, so this is a totally different recruit from the outset of his location. So kind of like we talked about with Kojo Hans, we don't don't take bowls as your typical Florida recruit, which is, you know, those kids are stories within, within themselves with some of the, the historic recruiting decisions they have made. But Ohio State has had traction here for quite some time. There is, when you're dealing with NFL folks, and look, Todd will tell you, and he's told me, hey, this is Troy's deal. I'm, I'm busy. You know, I'm busy trying to get another ring. He'll say all the right things. He, he was a former head coach in the league, right? He knows he knows what to say to me versus uh, a normal father who's, you know, who works at, uh, you know, General Electric or whatever it is. So he is saying the ball is totally in Troy's court. Um, but when, when you're talking about a father who's been in and around the NFL forever, it seems like it's just a different approach. It's about getting to Sunday's with that approach. So it, it makes it really hard for those kids to end up at the upstart school, unless the dad takes a head job at maybe the upstart school or, or the local school or the semi-local school, anything like that. So a year ago, I was already thinking, okay, Troy Bowles is going to be an Ohio State, Clemson, Notre Dame, Bama, USC, Texas kind of kid. Like you could, you could carve out that recruitment a year ago before he ever starts to take all these visits since that point you do start to see a little bit of traction with osu who's recruited well in the tampa area right um mm -hmm. petite fierre comes to mind even uh lejean cavazos comes to mind there's a lot of, of different prospects who who they've picked and prodded of course all over florida but even specifically in the tampa area and there is a relationship there with, with, with the aforementioned uh, pair but beyond that when you get up to Columbus at that position, it, it just does something different. And his offers elsewhere hadn't blown up the way we thought they were once he did get that Ohio State offer. He did get Florida. He did get some others, but it didn't go nuts where it's like all the Blue Bloods are all in on this kid and it's kind of a everyone full speed ahead on this recruitment. I think Ohio State might be the first Blue Blood. I have to check my notes. They might be the first true blue blood to get in on, on Troy and host it. Um, so that combination, I do think, will bode well for the Buckeyes. Uh, and again, the NFL mentality of his father, I think, is going to lead to an earlier decision because his older brother, Todd Jr., was actually caught up in COVID uh, struggles of finding a home in the class uh, of 2021 before getting a PWO spot at Rutgers. Now, they weren't the same level of prospect. Um, with, with no disrespect to Todd, uh, who was a more mature, kind of calculated player. Troy is kind of a raw torque athlete. Um, so I do think that that obviously plays a role into it, but they were kind of scrambling before Rutgers called, um, and they don't want that to happen with Troy. So I could absolutely envision an early commitment. And if it's going to be a blue blood, it's going to be a national program, it's hard to envision Ohio State missing on this kid today. We don't know who's going to get involved here going forward as more junior tape gets out because he is dominating for for maybe the best team in Florida not named IMG Academy. Um, so that's going to change. Other schools are going to jump in. But as it currently stands right now, you have to think Ohio State is in the driver's seat. 
And I think you made two really good points there. One with him and his family not being from Tampa specifically. His dad was with the New York Jets um, a couple years ago and actually coached Darren Lee, the former Ohio State linebacker. And he had mentioned during his camp visit how Darren was somebody who he had looked up to, you know, kind of molded his game after. And if, you know, if you see somebody as a, as a young kid and you say, hey, that guy won a national championship at Ohio State, was a first round draft pick, played for my dad, like those are, those are definitely things that are going to stick with him. And then the other thing too on top of that, I think it's very important to note that Ohio State was actually the first school to offer him in person, and he made a point to say that during his camp visit was it was just kind of one of those things like, you know, he had gone 15 months without any in-person contact with any coaches or anything like that. The first time Ohio State sees him in person, like, we, we you know, we want to offer you. And I think, you know, meeting with, with Al Washington, Ryan Day, like, that really set the tone in his recruitment and the fact that nobody really followed right after that is going to go a long way. When Once those schools do start paying attention, he's going to ask himself probably, like, why were these schools not in it earlier? And then there's going to be that one constant of Ohio State being in there that whole entire time, and I think that that ultimately will be something that, that plays a big role in an eventual decision for him. Absolutely. Um, you know, you, you said it perfectly there. I think I've, I've been as curious as maybe he is as to why it hasn't gone national. I think, again, more programs are trying to wrap up 2022 but they are evaluating 23 and, and that's a kid when you watch his tape you say oh okay i get it again now you don't have to know you don't have to know the x's and o's and which gap he's responsible for and, and what his covered responsibility is on this play to recognize that troy bowles is a dude right we can be casual we can be that the the, the couch armchair quarterback whatever you want to call it with this kid you know it's that easy and plain to see, and it should look like that if, if you're a blue blood type of prospect. Uh, he absolutely is, and and like Troy and like you, I'm I'm curious as to why other blue bloods haven't been all over this kid. Um, I do think it'll change here soon, but but I do think there is certainly with his dad. There's gonna be connections to a lot of programs and a lot of players. Um, but when you couple it with the visit, the early offer, the in person offer, some of the stuff you mentioned, it just makes a lot of sense. Uh, for Ohio State at this time. So really curious to see when he wants to make a decision, which we do suspect it coming earlier in the process relative to most because of what happened with his big brother. Um, I think those things will pay huge dividends for Ohio State, but obviously we'll, we'll have to wait and see who else jumps in the race and, and, and tries to make a brand in a hurry. I think one thing that you noted too with the fact that his dad you know, is kind of one of those people who will say it's, it's his decision – I think it's worth noting that his dad was with him on that unofficial visit for the camp. And, you know, it's, it's going to be somebody there who offers, you know, his opinion on things. It doesn't tell him what to do like, you know, maybe some other parents might or just, you know, be a little more involved than they should be. But I think that he's going to be somebody who, when he does take these visits with him, is able to say, like, this is what I see. And, and Troy is going to value that opinion because he sees it as, as a coach and not necessarily an emotional parent. 100%. That's, that's another great point. This is, this is what I said at the top. I said this is a pro mentality recruitment. This is a long play recruitment. This isn't a, a kid who's going to be like, well, I want to go play, uh, you know, game one, down one for whichever school I commit to. And whoever sells me on that is going to win this recruitment. It's just the circumstances around him won't allow for that. It is a graduation Sunday kind of mentality that, that is going to be thrown out in this recruitment. Um, so um, that's why there is there is a lot of active samples when possible for dad to be there. Uh, again, he, he doesn't want to be involved in the final call in terms of making it for the kid, but you know those conversations are happening. Hey, you know, what do you know about this coach? Did you coach with him? Do you know him? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and worst case, you can call somebody who knows, right? I mean, it, it's one of those where his Rolodex – Having been the head coach, like you said, of the New York Jets, head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, D.C., at a billion places, including with the, with the champs in Tampa, um, it's a national Rolodex. So you know he either knows them or knows somebody who knows them to get the true intel. So the most professional-facing operations are going to be in the best shape to, to land his son. There's no doubt. For sure. And, you know, I want to wrap up here with uh, with kind of talking about the slow start that everybody has really been having in the class of 2023. And then just, you know, kind of how teams are really struggling to fill out the last couple spots in their class of 2022. 
And, you know, do you think that there's really any like lingering effects from the pandemic that have that have made that the case? Or is it just kind of a, a situation where teams aren't really fully able to evaluate kids and and maybe are taking it a little slower on that that side? It's a bit of both. And then you throw in the transfer portal, you throw in roster management numbers, the extra year of eligibility that, that was a direct correlation with the pandemic. All of those things make the numbers game that much harder for every single college coach and support staff in the country. I believe, um, I don't have my computer in front of me, I believe there's only three or four programs with over 21 verbal commitments. Notre Dame, Penn State, Boston College, I know, are three off the top of my head. And there's not many others, if any. So usually this time of year, everyone is kind of finishing their class, right? So it's just a matter of those big-name kids like an Abel or who haven't made that final call yet, who have the luxury of taking their recruitment the distance. Um, it's not the case this year. I think there's still a lot of room to move forward um, in terms of adding volume to the commitment list. Um, most programs are in that 12 to 15 range. Some are closer or pusher, uh, excuse me, some are pushing closer to 20. Um, and some won't even get to 20 when all is said and done because of all of the roster craziness that everybody's dealing with, with, uh, again, the portal extra year of eligibility for those who wanted to stay, um, the pandemic evaluations, all of those things. So, yeah, there's a lot of effects still going on. I, I said it when all of this started, the class of 22 would be affected the most by the pandemic because there's just going to be less spots. You know, I think technology helped a lot in the evaluation game for the class of 2021. It had to help a lot, right? You couldn't do anything in person. So you kind of could figure it out in 2021. And the numbers weren't crazy yet. We didn't, we, it was kind of, some schools were preparing for the craziness. So they were a little bit more conservative in taking 23 versus 25, let's say. But that's a two prospect difference. In the class of 2022, there are programs that are used to taking 24, 25 every year that are going to take 17. Now you're talking about a seven, eight player difference. So by the numbers, the class of 2022 is the most affected because of, again, those same factors we talked about with the portal and the extra year and all of that. We're seeing the impacts of that stretch out over the entirety of the recruiting cycle. And there's going to be some very good prospects that shift down to the G5 level, the group of five, and there's going to be a, a group of prospects after that that end up FCS that any other cycle would be clear FBS type prospects. So it's it's kind of wild here down the stretch. Like we talked about, we're not that far away and there's all these uncommitted kids left. So it's kind of like, like are they all going to make commitments or is there some going to fall through the cracks? And I think, you know, um, falling through the cracks is, is definitely possible. So somebody's going to lip in this good talent at the end of this 22 cycle. But I think that is the class, again, most affected by by the pandemic and everything thereafter. I think there's two very interesting parts of roster management right now. And one, it's, you know, obviously, <clears throat> excuse me, obviously the um, extra year of eligibility has kind of thrown things off. You know, Ohio State's actually running underneath the scholarship limit right now. I think there are 81 players, um, not counting the super seniors. So these schools aren't maybe taking as many players because one, you know, there's just already so many players on the roster, but two, the transfer portal then allows you to fill those spots if you have them when, you know, fall camp rolls around. But then on top of that, I think the other interesting part is the fact that the NCAA is also considering, you know, kind of that one for one, you know, if someone transfers out, you can bring someone else in above the 25 man limit. And I think that that's going to be a very interesting thing to follow, you know, just to see how, how teams will kind of address that. Because really, if you're going to be losing a kid, you know, you're going to be able to bring in extra kids, an extra kid for that one that, you know, might keep it away from another school that, that could benefit from them. So it's, you know, initially it seems like the group of five schools might benefit this year because of those extra roster spots. But in the long term, I think that they actually might get hurt because those kids might end up on you know, the bigger school rosters because of that. You know, the risk getting richer, Andrew, is, is a long-standing issue with college football, and it's not going away, not with the pandemic or the portal or any of those things. You know, the, the case for parity, and we're seeing it now. I mean, they can't even lock in the expansion votes for the playoff. The case for parity was gone a long time ago. Now throw in NIL into the conversation as well. 
I mean, who's going to be in the best position to benefit the most? It's, it's the programs with the, the best history, the best resources, the most money, right? It comes down to that at the end of the day anyway. So the teams that win the most typically get all of those things. So there you go. I think the, the rich will continue to get richer regardless um, of, of the era. Um, this only reemphasizes that and, and makes us maybe take a closer look at it because of the unique circumstances over the last year and a half. Uh, but but that, that problem, if you want to call it a problem, doesn't change anytime soon. But hey, that's the fun of covering recruiting, though, isn't it? 100%. 100%. Because there are, you know, Blue Blood A says no to, to this top 100 prospect, and he ends up at Blue Blood B. And Blue Blood B celebrates as if it was an outright victory. And it trickles on down from there all the way to, you know, to Division three and Junior College and all of that stuff. So never a dull moment. Well, that'll do it for today's episode of Building the Buckeyes. I want to thank John for joining me on today's podcast. And if you don't already, make sure to follow John on Twitter at John Garcia underscore junior, as well as all of his work with SI All-American. Also, make sure to check out BuckeyesNow.com for all of the latest regarding the Ohio State football recruiting trail. I'm your host, Andrew Lind.